Almost Awakened podcast, a no-nonsense approach to spirituality. Here we dive deep into the wisdom traditions while acknowledging insightful breakthroughs in science, psychology, and human development. Our goal is to explore the good life and the very best of spirituality, no-nonsense required. Check us out at almostawaken.org where you can check out past episodes, make a donation, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources we share. And now, today's podcast episode. I had a throat punch to you through the phone. So so how many drinks have you had this morning? <laughs> um, just, just a wee bit. <laughs> just, just a wee bit. Okay, so here we are. I've got my Red Roca iced coffee. I'm ready to rock and roll. You ready to rock and roll? Let me just have another drink. Really quick. <laughs> it's 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> it's 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> you might have a drinking problem. <laughs> Are you hearing this? Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> That's it. We're done, folks. That's the Almost Awakened podcast. <laughs> and everybody, <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, and good night. <laughs> you made me laugh. <clears throat> so it's 7.30 a.m. And... Uh, and you're I'm just having coffee. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're just having coffee. All that is a result of just some coffee. <laughs> I really didn't have anything. You really didn't have but, anything to drink. <clears throat> no, I was just messing with you and then Oh my gosh. You said at seven thirty AM and you started laughing and so I was <clears throat> So now you got coffee in your lungs. Coffee. I don't think coffee in your lungs is good. It's not. It doesn't feel very good. <laughs> Holy shit. <clears throat> Oh boy! Yeah, I'll tell you, I've never, I've never started drinking at seven thirty in the morning. So you had me, uh, you had me quite excited to see how this was going to go. Okay. Um, welcome to another episode of the Almost Awakened podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Bill, and I'm Mikkel. And we are grateful for the chance to have you with us today, uh, Mikkel. I've got. My Red Roca iced coffee. I'm drinking that. We've Sweet. we've sent people to the website of almostawaken.org. We've asked people to put reviews up on our iTunes stuff on the on the listing on iTunes. If you put a five star review, you'll help more people find us. Uh, we've also uh, what else have we done? What else do we need to point people to? We've got a Facebook page. Facebook so that's, page. That's kind of cool. So we can send people to that. Yep, we're on Instagram. We're on Instagram. So Facebook. There's a <clears throat> I should say there is a group on Facebook too called Almost Awakened. It is uh, operated by us, has the same logo there. We're hoping that all of our listeners can begin to kind of uh, find a way to that group and conversations that can occur between you guys, uh, both about episodes that we're doing as well as other things. But today you chose the topic of fear. Uh, fear, man, there's a lot that goes with us. Maybe, maybe give us some initial thoughts and get us rolling. So, sorry, I, I inhaled my coffee this morning. Mikkel joked around with me that she was going to be drinking <laughs> alcohol this morning, and then I heard her take a sip of something, and, and, and she lost it from there. So I thought she was drinking hard booze, 
And I started laughing. And next thing you know, you've inhaled your coffee into your lungs. So now you've got yeah. red roca coffee in your lungs. It tastes uh, good. <laughs> I'm awake now. She's wide awake. <laughs> um, so the, fe- the yeah, the topic of fear, because I couldn't breathe, man, that's scary. But the topic of fear, because I feel like it rules so much of my life. And so I'm sure that other people are affected by that as well. So I, d- I, I do, I want to kind of hash it out. And I have some thoughts. <clears throat> and um, we had some good comments when I posted on my Facebook page about fear that I wanted to go over too. Man. <clears throat> um, so in starting, Bill, I just wanted to go back to kind of a follow-up on swearing. I had one of our friends text us yesterday, text me and Kelty, um, and she had some really good insights. So do you mind if I just read her comment really quick about swearing? Oh, I'd love to hear it. So, well, and also when talking to Kelsey, a couple of thoughts came up too, but she said, between us, cunt and pussy are powerful words of strength. Is there anything more sexy, powerful, resilient, and impressive than than a pussy? Only imbeciles would use those terms thinking to degrade someone. If you want to insult someone, how about limp dick or um, erectile dysfunction dick? Now that denotes low performance or ability. And so like that, it's true. We often call people cunt or pussy to, to it, it's a derogatory um, term. And it it's means often, weakness, right? Like it means right. somebody's weak. It's stupid. Have you pushed a baby out of your penis? No, and nor would I want to. Right. And even if I had a hole the size of a vagina, I wouldn't want to push a large mushmelon <laughs> out of that. So, yeah, a, a, we should celebrate a pussy as a, a word of strength, as something right. that can take uh, a lot of uh, challenges and is resilient. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. Like, that that word has been used the wrong way. Right, right. And then in talking to Kelty, too, she said... Um, she brought up the word bitch and we often use that word in a derogatory fashion, either towards, you know, women will use it to, to other women or like I said it to you yesterday, like I'll cut that bitch. Right. Yeah. I I was talking about the C word and how it's one of my favorite swear words, although I don't use it because it's derogatory, but I like the sound of it and I want to use it more often. And you said, if you ever call me that you would cut me like a bitch (laughs) that that you are. Yeah. Um, so even that is interesting. Kelsey um, was saying, why, why, you know, we talked last week about why certain words aren't okay. Like, it would be completely unacceptable for me to call someone the N-word. Um, but within certain populations, um, and I used the example that, you know, my, my grandma raised uh, or took in foster kids, and a lot of them were black, and the black kids could use that term to each other. But someone that is not black... It's completely unacceptable for them to use that word. <clears throat> so why, you know, we talked last week about not using words that um, degrade or are derogatory towards certain groups of people. So then why is the word bitch acceptable? Because it's derogatory towards women. Yeah. Um, so so the trouble here is I'm, I'm going to be, a, I'm not going to be PC, which is what we, we don't want that. We don't want to be like so far conservative as to every word is just wrong. There are certain words we talked about last week that are wrong in certain spaces. There are certain words that are, I think, always wrong. Okay. Um, the We talked about retarded being just inappropriate in today's society. We talked about the N-word just being unsayable. There was a joke yesterday, and it really wasn't a joke. It, somebody had talked about Mormons 
and they used the word Mormon and somebody came in and said, we don't like being called that. It's like using the N word. And the reality oh. is, no, it's not no, because it you not. can say the word Mormon. You can't say the N word. There's, there's a clear difference. Um, I, I think that when it comes to words like bitch, uh, you'll never catch me out of anger or demeaning somebody else using that word. You will hear me use it in terms of to myself when like son of a bitch, like when I mess up, right? when I make a mistake. Um, but again, I, I think as society moves, those words shift and move in terms of the taboo they have. And there may come a day where because of us as a society becoming more aware of feminist issues that we don't use that word at all, maybe. Um, but but as of right now, I, I see those words as things I can use in my personal life when I'm angry or upset with myself. Right. But I'm certainly not going to use them as demeaning or, or uh, use it out of anger towards another person. Gotcha. I like that. Cool. So, okay. So moving on to the topic of fear. Um, I think this relates a little bit to what we talked about in our episode a couple of weeks ago on death. In that, for me, I've noticed that Oftentimes, I'm fearful of making decisions. I'm fearful of making the wrong decision or doing the wrong thing. Um, and so, in in kind of thinking about fear this week, um, I read this really interesting article that talked about how when we start to awaken, we we almost die in a sense because we we start shedding and we start shifting and we start letting go of who we used to be, and we start waking up to a new a new person if that makes sense. And so this article talked about how important it is that we grieve that old person and that sometimes if we don't allow ourselves to grieve, that can bring up fear um, of of who we were or who we're becoming. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. So if I go to an earlier place in my life, I, I would be aware of who I was and I would think that who I was was consistent. In other words, I would think like, oh, I'm Bill Real. This is who I am. This is who I'm always going to be. And I didn't recognize that I was moving and changing. Now, as I'm in this space on the other side or the second half of life, as Richard Rohr says, I realize like, oh, I'm always changing. I'm always moving. I won't be the same person in five years that I am today. This, the, this new person in five years will have a, a, a several handfuls of really cool experiences plus a just years and years of day-to-day kind of things going on, I'm not going to be the same person. And so, yes, when I go back to an earlier stage, I was deeply scared of when life began to change, when life was going to do something different. Uh Uh-oh, this is happening. Uh Uh-oh, that's happening. Someone's moving from one job to another. When, When I moved out here to Southern Utah five years ago, it was a huge move. Like to right. leave my family, my wife left her family. We, I move out a month early. I go all the way across the country and I'm taking up this job, uh, working for people I don't know, working for a company I don't know, living in an area I don't know, uh, around people I don't know. And that thing worked out so damn good. And again, not everybody has this experience because bad things happen when we take chances sometimes. Right. It worked out so good that I learned to right away just to trust in movement, trust in change, trust in new experiences. But it's not that way for everybody. And it wasn't that way for me. I can imagine lots of times in my life. Um, I can look back at lots of times in my life where I was scared, uh, scared that I was going to take a new job, scared that I was going to do something different. I think that's normal. I think sometimes fear protects us from doing sure. something too dangerous. And fear also prevents us 
from from taking steps to better ourselves because we're so afraid of the unknown too. Right, right. So in in researching or in learning about fear, um, what's been interesting is that it is uh, it's it's an instinct. It's like inborn in us. It's not something that you know. Sure, over time we were conditioned. We learn things. Bad things happen to us, and and that kind of reinforces the fear that we already have. But I think that there's certain there's a certain degree of fear that is just natural. Um, I was talking to Kelsey's uncle a couple of weeks ago, and he said something that was really interesting to me. He said, um, he asked, we were in a group, and he asked um, if we knew what the hardest sound to decipher its direction was. And, you know, people were throwing out various answers. And he said, people, the human ear has the hardest time figuring out the direction. So meaning where a sound is coming from, um, from an ambulance or a fire engine, those types of um, emergency vehicles. So police, police cars, um, ambulances, fire trucks, our ear can't figure out which direction it's coming from until it's really close. And yeah, that was fascinating to me. And he said, do you know what sound the human ear can pick up with precise um, precision? It can, it can figure out which direction the sound is coming from very precisely. And again, people were throwing out answers. It's crackling leaves. And he said the reason is because we have this innate fear to look out for predators, to be aware of, of our surroundings and know what's happening. And so evolutionarily, our ears can pick up the direction that that sound is coming from if it's crackling leaves. And that was fascinating to me. Yeah, that does seem interesting. You would think because the police sound and the the fire engine or the police car or the ambulance, you would think similar things because essentially you go on high alert, like, uh-oh, something's right. going on. What happened? Right. Um, but for whatever reason, those two things are very different. Yeah, we certainly evolutionary mechanisms that are within us, the crackling leaves. I mean, for, for 200,000 years, humans have had to worry up until recently, up until – the modern history, right. we've had to worry about what direction threats were coming from. So that certainly right. makes sense. Right. And and so how how does that play a role in how we respond to things today? Um, and, and in what ways do we experience fear or, or how does fear show up for us? And how can we move forward knowing that we've got fear? What are your thoughts on that? Fear paralyzes me. And I don't know if this ties into kind of what you're asking. It's just where my brain went. So today, we don't have those kinds of threats. We, we, you know, when some when there's a noise next to us, ninety nine point nine 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 percent chance it's not uh, a some warring tribe with a spear in their hand going to kill me. Instead, it's uh, just you know just something happening. But yet, our brain goes into that mode of being scared or alert, and all of a sudden, our breath gets different and our heart rate changes. And uh, you can feel the adrenaline begin to kind of pump into you. Mm-hmm. When that happens, we recognize scientifically there's a piece of our brain, a different part of our brain that's doing something. And and the main thinking parts of our brain start to kind of shut down and go back to this fight, flight, uh, fright, or faint mm-hmm. uh, response. And when that happens, I'm telling you, my IQ goes from wherever it's at down to like 70 Right. And um, I can't do basic tasks. In, in emergency situations, when I'm trying to hurry up and message somebody or make a phone call or perform basic functions, I can't. Um, I suddenly – it takes extra time to do basic mundane tasks. Fear – I'm very rarely afraid. When I'm afraid, 
I'm incapable of normal function. Uh, and I don't, and I don't even know what to do with that. Like I, I, I know it. I'm aware of it as it's happening, and there's not a damn thing I can do about it. Um, does that kind of thing happen to you? Do you get yeah, paralyzed? I do, I do, and I, it, it sometimes can take over every aspect of my life, and it can be something as simple as, um, you know, making a decision about changing jobs, or, or like you've said, you know, moving, um, even being introduced to new people. Sometimes I feel myself completely paralyzed by fear. Um, and it's interesting. Um, I I posted the question on Facebook, and and a lot of people said the same kind of thing. Um, one person said, "I can't make a decision without over analyzing every side." And then even when I've made a choice, I can't seem to go through with it. Feel fear makes me stand still because the repercussions of moving might cause the world to come crashing down. Um, another person said that they're they're afraid that they won't ever really live up to their potential, and they keep putting off the future. Uh, or keep putting off the present because they're constantly trying to prepare for the future. And another person said they feel like they're drowning right now. They feel like they're having constant panic attacks and they can't breathe and they just want to they would just want to run or withdraw um, because they're so uncertain about the unknown. And I think there's as I look back, there's so much of my life that has been ruled by fear. And so some of that comes from, traumatic experiences that I've had. For example, uh, I was in a really bad car crash when I was about seven. And for some reason, that car crash still triggers me today. So I have a hard time getting in elevators. Um, and, and none of that really affected me before the car crash. Amusement park rides are like out. I can't, there, there are certain ones that just my body can't handle. Um, and so it's interesting to look at the ways that our experiences have shaped us and how um, fear shows up for us in in everyday moments. So what do you do when you're feeling those feelings of fear, Bill? So let me start by saying, similar to you, I had a motorcycle accident where I lost control of my motorcycle going about 55 mile an hour around a curve. Yikes. And the motorcycle, I laid it down. It, it went hundreds of yards in front of me. And... Uh, Man, in your head, you think like I'll I'll tell my body which way I want to kind of land to soften the blow. Right. And by the time you even have that thought, you've come to a stop rolling down the street, like it happens so quick. And so the rest of you know this happened back when in like I was thirty years old, thirty one years old, and ever since then, if I'm a pa- I don't mind driving, I have no problem driving a car. Mm-hmm. If I'm the passenger and I'm not in control, oh, me too. I get a lot of anxiety. Me too. And so my wife gets mad at me because I'm always criticizing her driving and she's driving fine. Right. But I'm so, there's so much anxiety in me from that motorcycle accident that I no longer can be a quiet passenger and sit still. Right. Um, so what do we do with that? Yeah. I, I think two things. Fear, fear is a tool. It's an evolutionary tool. So sometimes fear is useful. Sometimes fear is telling us not to take a risk where the risk is too high. Okay. Uh, at other times, we have to take some risk, like switching jobs. Maybe you're miserable in your job, and and if you want to, and if another job opportunity comes up, but you don't know what that job looks like, you don't know if it's better or worse. And so sometimes, out of fear, we hang on to the known, even though the known isn't enjoyable. Right. We hang on to what's comfortable. Right. And, and I, how do we do anything? I guess in, in yeah. my world, sometimes I just take chances and, and they're calculated. So if 
I'm not going to go parachuting if one out of every 143 parachutes fails. Now, that's not the number. So if anybody wants to go parachuting today, <laughs> not trying that, to scare you. That's out for me. But if, but if there's risks that are too risky, I don't take them. I want to live as long as possible in terms of how I can control that. And when the risk seems to have a net positive or a better chance of a net positive at the end, I just, I just, I just do it. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. How do you just do it? Like you've got all this fear. You're feeling all the things in your body. You, you sometimes have irrational thought. So how do you go from, man, I'm like, this is terrifying me to making the, the jump to do it, whatever the thing is. How do you, how do you get from that to doing it? Uh, I, I taught, it's not like, it's not like this momentary thing. It's not like, Hey, you have this choice. What are you going to do? And I go, Oh, I'm going to do it. Jump in. It's, it's more of like, look, I'm going to talk to my friends. Okay. I'm going to get their advice. I'm going to, uh, sit down and be conscious about the pros and cons of continuing to do what I'm doing and the pros and cons of taking this chance. Uh, so for me, it's, it's a mind game of looking at what the net benefits are, looking at what the risk is. And saying like, do I, do I want to take the chance of what this could look like, good and bad? Or do I want to stay right where I am? And, uh, in the, again, if you would go back the first 30 years of my life, first 35 years of my life, it was, let's just stay with what we have. Um, and the last five years of my life, it's like, look, let's take calculated risk. Let's, and it's worked out great. And it it is no guarantees that it always will, but it has. And, and so I've gotten more comfortable doing that, but it's a lot of thinking and talking and measuring and weighing. Um, a lot of stuff goes into it. I don't think these decisions are easy. We're not in a world anymore, Mikel, where we're around a campfire at night and every night there are threats all around us. We live in a world where luckily for most of the big decisions in our life, we have some time to think about those before we make a decision. Right, right. And I, I would, you know, when you're, when you're telling um, our listeners, kind of the process that you go through. I kind of, I think I do a lot of the same things. I maybe overanalyze, um, but I think about all of the pros and cons. Um, and sometimes it's it's helpful for me to even sit and think about, or even just feel the fear, and then ask myself questions like, okay, what what am I really fearful of? Is it the new job or is it that I'm fearful that I'm not going to be good enough at the new job? Or um, is it I'm fearful of, you know, whatever experience that that could happen? Because there is a lot of unknown when we make choices. Um, We don't always know how things are going to work out. We don't, we can't always control how things are going to work out. And so for me, I have found that asking friends, um, sitting and thinking about things and weighing the pros and cons, and then... It, you, like you've said, it's it's almost a calculated risk. You're 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 willing to step into the unknown or the uncertain, um, and experience. It, it could be risky, but I think sometimes we the risk is worth the uncomfort. Yeah, there's there's this phenomenon known to, known too that um, if something is an enjoyable thing to do we will happily go about doing the task. Now, these are necessary tasks I'm talking about. So um, if something has to happen, I've got to make a phone call, I, I have to contact a company, I have to reach out to a customer, whatever it is, when it's a positive, we eagerly go to do it. Right. And when a task is negative, even even if it's necessary, 
we put it off, we stall, we set it to the back burner, we put it off as long as we can. And it's that fear inside us of like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to go through this. I don't know what this is going to look like, but it's not going to be positive. We we tend to put it off. And I think we do the same thing with these big life decisions. There's so much fear in the unknown that we sometimes hesitate and we pause so long. And the reality is like in our minds, even when we say like the the, the chances are it's going to be a good move. It's It can't be worse than what I'm doing now. Right. Um, even when that's the case, the unknown is so scary that we tend to take uh, an unusually long time to make these decisions. We put them off until the last second when we should just – if we take fear completely out and we've done our list and we've gotten uh, wise counsel from friends and other people around us, we should just quickly make the decision and move into it. We should. And, and I think that that goes back to com- some of the other things that we've talked about, leaning into vulnerability um, – and and sometimes we do. We have to be we have to be vulnerable. We have to take the risk. We have to step into the unknown. And like you said, for me in my experience, things often work out way better um, than the story that's in my head. And so it does. It just becomes this practice of of stepping, taking the step, and doing the thing, um, and watching the magic unfold. I uh, I was reading something the other day when you said fear. In fact, it had been yesterday because you said we were going to talk about fear yesterday, <laughs> yesterday. morning. And, and I like, by the way, the listener needs to note this. You you give me the topics late intentionally. You, I, Listener, you're going to understand this as we go through time. I, I just am not going to not prepare. I'm going to read things. I'm going to think about the topic. I'm going to make notes, which you're doing too. Um, but you, you tend to like a little more off the cuff and I'm wanting to like give the listener a ton of data on fear. So I'm reading up yesterday on fear and we two things. One is that I always thought everybody has fear and those who do the hard things anyway, that that's courage, right? Courage is to do the hard thing in spite of being scared. Mm -hmm. But I'm reading yesterday, there are people who are actually fearless. Like they evolutionary don't have the fear mechanisms. They don't have the fear chemicals going through their body and the anxiety and the heart rate going up and the like. There are people in this world who are fearless. I hate them. What do you, What do you think about that? <laughs> like, it's it's fascinating to me. Um, I was reading this book called The Happiness Hypothesis, and it it talks about something similar, in that there there are kind of two main brains that have evolved. One is a brain that's pessimistic, and that's that served them for some evolutionary purpose. And then there's a brain that's more optimistic and that served, you know, people for for obvious reasons. And so to to know that there could be a brain that doesn't have fear, that makes a lot of sense because we need people like that in order to um to perpetuate the population, but also like do hard things that people like me can't do. Right. Right, that there has to be some people out there, some small portion of the population who are fearless to take the rest of us by the hand and walk us into the hard things. Or pull us or push us or, you know, make us jump. Right, or make us jump, right. Like like skydiving, is that something uh, you want to do? Yes and no. I, I'm terrified of heights and I, like, I want to do it to say that I, I've done it, but seriously, Bill, I can't even get on a roller coaster ride with without feeling like I'm going to pass out. And there have been times that I have passed out. Yeah, and, and we right, we ride roller coasters because we want because it seems fun to engage the fear. Like, that's the reason we do it. Otherwise, we'd just stay in our car. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but we ride roller coasters because there's a level of them being scary 
and we engage that scariness. So it becomes fun to be fearful. And yet here you are because of a car accident, having an extra heightened amount to the point where you're even passing out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because there are certain rides that I can go on, which sometimes makes no sense. The spinny rides, I could ride those all day, but the rides that go upside down and, you know, go up and then you have this big massive drop where you're going 60 miles an hour. I can't. And maybe I could if I, you know, continually faced that fear, but it's not something that I feel particularly drawn to do. So there's so many little tangential things kind of on my mind with this topic. One thing I read, they said seven things you need to know about fear. Fear is healthy. I think to some degree fear is healthy as long as it doesn't paralyze us from making decisions that we want to make in the end. Right. Like when we need to, like we've talked about it all morning here, that when we want to move into some new thing and fear paralyzes us, we, it, that's unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But fear generally is a healthy thing. Fear comes in many shades. Fear is not as automatic as you think. You talk about it being evolutionary. Like some fears are evolutionary. Uh, human beings generally are across cultures are, are scared of spiders, even in cultures where they're familiar with spider, spiders, and even in cultures where spiders aren't as prevalent. Right. Um, our bodies are naturally fearful of spiders or scorpions or snakes because for 200,000 years, those were the animals that got on us in the middle of the night while we're sleeping and bit us and injected us with poison and all of a sudden we got sick. Mm-hmm. Um, some fears are learned. There are people who are scared of clowns. Right. Um, for whatever reason, right? So they went to the circus when they were a kid or something happened. And now they're scared of this thing that is a, a piece of modern history. Mm-hmm. Uh, some fears, again, evolutionary. Some fears are, uh, we're inborn with. Um, other fears we learn because something traumatizes your accident, my accident. They said it's not as automatic as you think. You don't need to be in danger to be scared. Sometimes you're scared and there's nothing going on around you. Right. Um, nothing really scary. I'm going to be 41 here in a couple of weeks. Even as a 40-year-old getting ready to turn 41 – if I'm laying in my bed and my wife's not home that night because she's went on a trip with friends, if I hear a weird noise in the house, right? all of a sudden I'm on edge a little bit. Yeah. Um, it doesn't paralyze me the way it does my wife, but but I'll get up and I'll turn the lights on and walk around the house and make sure there's nothing there, check all the doors. Right. It doesn't matter whether the, there's something really there or not. Fear just happens. So it's interesting, Bill, because um – one of the one of the classes I took a couple of years ago was talking about fear, and it mentioned, and I've heard this before, that we our body responds to fear whether it's real or whether it's perceived. So sometimes fear can be like I I'm gonna I'm afraid I'm gonna miss this deadline at work, or I'm being chased by an angry dog. So our body responds in the same way whether it's perceived fear or whether it's real fear, and in that process our body releases a whole bunch of chemicals and that that can affect our thoughts. And like you, you pointed out how our body responds, you know, our heart rate increases and breathing gets faster and hands get cold and sweaty and those kinds of things. But the interesting thing too, is that if we're excited, the same, our body produces the same physiologic response as it does when it's fearful. So yeah. And it it even changes, it even changes your perception of the environment. So they said like people who have claustrophobia, the fear of small spaces, when they're in an elevator or they're walking down a narrow hallway, their brain tells them that the space, because as the fear response happens, their brain then tells them that the hallway is even smaller than it is. The elevator is even smaller than it is. Uh, if you have a fear of spiders, 
the the size of the spider or the aggression of the spider is perceived as more serious than it is. Um, our brains, man, what they do to they really fuck uh, us up sometimes. Oh, that to alter our yeah to alter our perception and really to almost scare the hell out of us even more. Right. Uh, when it comes to these things, because what it's trying to do is say like deal with that, deal with that, run, smash it, hide, do something. Um, because that thing's going to get you or this thing's going to be the end of your life. You getting in this elevator, even though getting in the elevator is literally the safest thing in the entire world. It's how many elevator not, deaths have you heard? How many elevator deaths have you heard of in the last year? <laughs> right? Like it doesn't um, happen. No, I haven't heard of it except when we were – I was at work a couple of weeks ago and the power went out and people were stuck in the elevator for like two hours. What about quicksand? Remember, you and I are both the same age. I, I remember playing quicksand games as if it were real and you would possibly die from quicksand. Wasn't quicksand in a, in a lot of movies when you and I were kids? Yeah, like the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah. Didn't you used to tell yourself like, okay, this is how quicksand works. This I'm going to have to be get prepared. Out. This is how – This is. we've had to deal with quicksand a lot less than we thought we did and, as kids, and, right? And lava. Lava too. Lava also scared the hell out of us. Right. And we were taught as kids to be prepared for volcanoes and lava. I've never once had in my entire life <laughs> had to deal with either quicksand or lava. Neither one of those. Right. I wasted a lot of time and energy being prepared to battle quicksand and lava. <laughs> like with quicksand, you had to have a big stick, right? You had to have a, have a giant stick, and something that would stay on top of the thing that you could hold on to and right. move your way through. Right. Yeah. Wasted preparation, right. my friend. We should have been preparing for like how to change jobs and, you know. I, I feel like those doomsdayers, the guys that are building like the nuclear sh- – like Yeah. Uh, what do they call the, those like things? The, the underground shelters? shelters? Underground shel- yeah. I, I think they're doing a lot like what we do with quicksand. They're kind of wasting their time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. Well, Bill, I was having a hard time waking up this morning. You know how it goes. You stay up too late partying or hanging out with friends. And then you've got to get up early to record a podcast. So what do we do in those instances? And on every other day of the week? Coffee. Red Roca coffee. It helps you and me as we're awakening in the morning. My favorite brew is Heathens or Good Mojo. And sometimes I like it hot. In the summertime, every once in a while, I'll drink it cold. Red Roca Coffee is a small family-owned business here in the United States. If you need a cup of joe to help you awaken, give Red Roca Coffee a try. We're sure you'll like it. We're sure you'll like it. That's Red Roca, R-O-C-A, coffee.com. When you place your order, put in the code AWAKE. A-W-A-K-E. You'll get a 10% discount, and you'll get free shipping on orders over $30. Check out Red Roca Coffee today. Again, Red Roca Coffee. For those times when you need help awakening. Somewhere it's, somewhere it said the, the opposite of fear is, is not um, bravery or courage. Somebody said the opposite of fear is love. They did studies oh, where yeah. if love is present, if love is given, that is what makes fears go away. It's the opposite of fear. Your thoughts on that? It, it's so interesting, um, and I believe that partly because um, I've studied a little bit about the different frequencies of emotion. So the vibration of the frequency when we're feeling certain emotions, fear is one of the lowest vibrations, and love is one of the highest. And um, one of the things that I often practice when I remember when I've got a lot of fear or, or anxiety. So anxiety and fear kind of go hand in hand for me. They, in some ways, are synonymous. Um, so when I'm feeling fearful or feeling a lot of anxiety, one of the things that I've done is I 
will sit with myself and imagine myself as a scared little girl. And how would I have wanted someone to respond to that little girl in those moments? And oftentimes it's me visualizing, you know, myself as a little girl and then me as an adult coming to that little girl and comforting her and loving her and helping her just know that, you know, like you're safe and I'll protect you and I'll help you and you're going to be okay and you're loved and, and expressing those feelings or those thoughts of comfort and love often will help ease my anxiety. Um, And I told this story a couple of weeks ago when we were doing a podcast episode where I went to get my back work done and I had some acupuncture and the chiropractor stuck in the acupuncture needles and I was laying uh, face down and I shifted and I could feel the because he had hooked up the acupuncture needles to a little bit of electrical stimulation to try and release the knots in my back and stuff. And, and I had shifted and I could feel the electrical current move and it felt like I wasn't, I couldn't breathe. And I had massive panic attack. But what helped calm me down was seeing, you know, I, I was picturing you and Amanda, because you guys had been over at our house recently, and I was seeing you guys look at each other lovingly. So focusing on that, that love helped calm me down. So that's my thought. Yeah. I, um, I know that sometimes we, we yell as parents or where we give this really cold front because we're not sure. I, I, at least I can say this. I give a really cold front sometimes to my kids because I'm waiting for the next shoe to fall. I'm waiting for the next thing to happen. And I'm trying to just be, um, not invest myself too much emotionally into a situation so that I can be better prepared to handle when something negative happens. And talking to one of my kids this week, it became clear to me as I, as I thought about fear yesterday and as I thought about how love is the opposite of fear and as I thought about this interaction with one of my kids earlier in the week, I realized like, oh, I'm going to have to set that cold front aside I'm going to have to let love be more visible in my relationship with this child because this child uh, has developed some mechanisms that I think are rooted in fear. And if I as a parent can begin to show forth love and I'm in this child's uh, life more than other factors are, that my love maybe can help dispel fear. Another thing that dispels fear, by the way, Mikkel, is sleep. So one of the things I read yesterday is that just sleeping at night, you're you're going to sleep. There's something that happens that decreases your fears. And and, and think about it. We often say to ourselves, like, I have this big concern. I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to get a good night's rest. And then I'm going to get up in the morning and tackle this differently. And we we sometimes wake up with a different, like, okay, I'm ready to take this on now. Now I'm ready to go at it. Sleep sometimes dispels that that fear. Yeah, maybe for some people, but not for me. I I tend to go to bed and my fear or my anxiety increases um, because then I'm completely alone with my thoughts and I have a tendency to overanalyze the shit out of everything. So maybe for some people, I'd like to learn that trick of like, yeah, I'm just going to go to bed. I'll think about this tomorrow. Yeah. So the opposite is with you. Mm -hmm. So you need to just stay up all night and think about it and then make a decision Mm -hmm. and not go to sleep. Yeah. But I have found that, so meditation is a huge tool that I use in my life. And sometimes in those moments where I've overanalyzed everything to death and I'm still feeling a lot of anxiety, um, 
well, there's two things, meditation and then talking about it. I found that if I, if I say my fear out loud, for some reason, it helps me process it. So finding a safe, you know, safe person to talk about my fears with, but then meditation, if I'm, if I can't sleep and I just can't let things go, if I stick in some headphones, um, it gives my brain something else to think about rather than what's, you know, the thoughts in my head. And that sometimes helps me dispel some of that fear and some of that anxiety and think about it later. What are you the most afraid of? Ah, oh, that's a really good question. Um, what are your deepest fears? My deepest fears are, that's a really hard question. Um, I'm going to try not to cry. That I'm not, that I'm not good enough. Um, I think that that, oh, God damn you, Bill. Um, yeah, th- I think, you know, growing up in a strict fundamentalist religion and in a super strict household where a lot of my my love you know love had to be earned and um it was conditional it's always conditional and um uh it it was abusive at times and so you know i used to have a lot of fear around authority figures and um so yeah just just not feeling good enough i would say was is probably my one of my deepest fears and then just the fear of of the unknown again stepping away from my fundamentalist religion and stepping away from unhealthy relationships now there's a lot of things that are unknown i don't have the answers for everything and so sometimes that causes me to have anxiety and fear about the unknown um what about you what are what are your deepest fears my my deepest fear similar so i don't but different so Again, my experience growing up was different. My parents' love and the relationships around me with my cousins and my aunts and my uncles were all positive. Love was not conditional. It was unconditional. And so I don't have any fear of not being good enough, but I have fear of compromising myself. In other words, I like a story about myself. I like to think of myself in a certain way. And I'm scared to death that I will do something or make a choice or a decision that will compromise who I am. So that scares me. That scares me too. Um, and, and it's yet, it's this one moment and it's off into the future, whenever it is. And you really don't, I mean, yeah, you can have control. Like I can go exercise, but you, when it happens, you don't have control. Um, it's going to happen. And so it's not really worth worrying about in that like daily fear kind of way. But there are moments, at least monthly, where I'm sitting on the couch and I'm watching a movie or a TV show or something and a violent act hits uh, the scene. And suddenly, like, I'm inside my head going through my last three minutes of my life. There are like I have a deep fear of falling through ice on a pond or a lake and more importantly, on a river where there's current. And falling through the ice and then the current moving me and then me looking up and the ice being above me and someone else being up there, but the ice is too thick. Shit. Yeah. Like I, I have thought about that a thousand times in my life of falling through ice and drowning in cold waters where I could have lived if I could have broke through the ice, but I can't. God. Um, and, and it's silly. Like those are the kinds of things that like startle me. Um, another thing is my kids. Uh, I talked last week, I'm a shitty parent, but I do love my kids and I want to protect them. So I often throughout my adulthood 
woke up in the middle of the night with nightmares where my kids sunk through the floor or monsters came into my room and grabbed my kids because they were in my dream. They were with me. And um, anytime something happens or I'm worried that something's happened to one of my kids, I go into that paralyzed anxiety. Um, those are the kinds of things that scare me um, the most. Um, they said fear is contagious. If you're in a crowd and somebody shows fear, the rest of the crowd begins to act in a fearful way too. Like fear is contagious. They said fear has a smell. It they, does. They did a study where they had somebody, uh, they did a study with men who uh, were shown like a horror movie and scary stuff. And then another group of men that were just shown like revolting uh, images. And they gave the shirts then of those two groups to a group of women because women's sense of smell and their emotional connection to these things is stronger. And the, the women who smelled the fear showed had different thoughts in different body uh, language than the women who smelled the shirts of the men who saw the revolting images. So fear even has a smell. That's interesting. And and I'm not surprised by that. Um, just thinking of my, my experience as a nurse, you know, there's been a couple of times where I've been in a situation and oftentimes I would look to, you know, the charge nurse or someone with more authority. And if their face was fearful, then I would fear yeah. I would feel Contagious. fearful and yeah. yeah, and feel some panic. Um, and even as a parent, like if your kid falls off their bike and they've got this big scratch and they're bleeding all over the place, if you if you don't remain calm and 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 try and calm their fears, they're more scared and they start to panic more. And so, just as a parent, I've noticed. And even you know, you talked about being a shitty parent. Um, I've been a shitty parent as well, and I will never forget um, one of the times. You know, I used to be a yeller. I grew up in a home where there was yelling. And so that that was all I knew and used that when my kids were younger as a tool to try and get them to conform and behave. But I'll, I'll never forget, I was yelling at my son, my oldest son one time, and the look on his face, he was terrified of me. And and it was in that moment that I decided, like, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I got to do something different. So... I've had those two. I've had those two where as a parent, I, the, the yelling went too far. I went yeah. too far. And, and as I went too far, same thing. My kids had this look of like, who, like, who the hell is this person? Right. And, and yeah, those are eye opening moments to go like, oh, I fucked. I really fucked up. I here. really fucked up. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it, it's caused me, I've done that two or three times in my life where I've gone like, oh, I really went too far here. And, and it caused a lot of reflection and me mm -hmm. having to like make serious changes in how I parent. Yeah. I heard this quote, Bill, um, that's really interesting. Uh, it's The quote is, anger is fear's bodyguard. What do you think that means? When we are scared, our scared self is fragile. Our scared self is uncertain of where we fit in the world. Our scared self is... Uh, deeply uncomfortable with where we're at and what our place is in things. Anger seems to be a way to cover that up. Like the angry me is strong. The angry me is not going to let anybody push me around. And it, it seems to be that bodyguard mechanism. It seems to be that other, that other part of our personality that steps out in front of fear and says, you're not going to bother fear. You're going to have to deal with me. It's so interesting to think about. What do you think in terms of like times that you've used anger to protect your scared self? 
Yeah, it's it's often just like you said, it's often when I'm feeling super vulnerable or not good enough or or weak. And so anger will come out as a way to either deflect or defend myself. Um, and so I have found that in those moments, I really have to focus on what the core issue is. Yeah, I, th- I think there are times inside me where I'm scared, uh, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, I'm nervous, I don't know how things fit together, and I can like tangibly th- – I'm using the wrong word. I can look inside my head and know that I'm feeling that. And then also sense that what I'm doing outwardly is trying to yell at my kids or put, put all of them back in order so that I can somehow regain order inside myself. And the reality is it really isn't an outward problem. It's inside me. That's the issue. And, and I think anger is a way to punish the outside world for what's going on inside of us. And it just seems to be really unhealthy when we do that. Yeah, yeah. So what would be, what's a healthier way to manage that? And how do we get into that space? I think the first secret is to be aware of it. I think the first half of life, we don't even name it. We're afraid to even name it. We don't even want to see it. It's there. We either aren't seeing it or we're choosing not to see it. On this half of life, if you are almost awakened, you know you're doing it. You sense it. You can see it. And instead of creating all the bullshit stories around it where it's still somebody else's fault, I think right. you go inside, you walk away from the situation because you sense it, you walk away right. and you sit in silence for a moment and go like, ooh, that's me, not them. That's me. Right. Let me fix me and let me go out there knowing it's me so that I can address the situation very differently. Yeah, I, I love that. Take a moment um, and and just sit with yourself, sit with the feelings that you're feeling sit with the thoughts and and really try to get clear about what what the core issue is, what's really underlying. I, I would bet every time, almost, again, not every time, there are going to be times where you need to yell and scream in anger to stop somebody else who is uh, hurting you past your boundaries, right? Like, so that I'm not going to dismiss that that happens, but I bet the far and wide majority of the time that we get angry and lash out there's really the really the root of it is some level of fear or insecurity inside herself. Um, another cool thing I came across yesterday, and and I'm happy to go on about other things here too. But virtual reality, they're using virtual reality, which is just this cool modern thing. You've been over our house; we just bought one of these Oculus Quest uh, virtual reality headsets, and so cool. But they're using virtual reality in therapy to help people with their fears. So, for instance, if somebody has a fear of large crowds, then they can put on this virtual reality headset and little by little walk them down street. You could just walk down the street in virtual reality and they can increase the size of the crowd until you are able to handle that without any anxiety. And then you can go out into the real world and it doesn't bother you anymore. Right. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy. And um, it's interesting because I did a research paper on it when I was in NP school um, and, and how in regards to PTSD, um, particularly involving soldiers who are returning from war. And I was fascinated about this subject because I had a, I have a brother who uh, went to Iraq um, when he was in the army and he came home and could not function um, outside of his, his home. He would have a lot of anxiety and, and, you know, repercussions of, of what he experienced. And one of the things that I researched was exactly what you said is they, 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 
are using virtual reality as a way to help people manage a lot of their anxieties and their fears. And it's, it's slowly conditioning them to be less fearful of the experience. It's, it's so fascinating to me. Maybe, maybe we, uh, we should put me on a roller coaster ride on your VR bill. We actually have a roller coaster game on there. Oh, so we can shit, do that. I was kidding. Um, yeah. They said that, you know, you can use virtual reality and you can send the soldiers back into a war zone, which would be unethical uh-huh. to do in real life. Like, right. Let me just drop right. all you guys off with PTSD in the middle of this war zone. But in VR, they can put them back in that war zone, control what they're seeing and get right. people to get more comfortable with that so that some of that anxiety goes away. Yeah. I think it's marvelous, which, which points to like, we're going to get better at coping and dealing with some of these fears uh, as, as technology increases, as we have more and more ability. Uh, anything else here? What else do we have that we've got to go into here with fear? Um, I, I think, you know, you, you kind of touched on this in the beginning that sometimes fear, we use it as a negative thing or we think of it as a bad thing, but there are instances when our fear is founded and um, it's based on, it's, it's based on feedback that we're, that our brain or our body is receiving, and we need to listen to that sometimes. So I don't want people to think that fear is always a bad thing. There are times when we have to be cautious, or we um, there's a reason for us to be scared of something. But overall, um, I think that a lot of times our fear is unfounded, and um, we need to find ways to to cope with it or manage it in more healthy ways. Yeah. I, w- I want to say one last thing, which is I was saving this for today. I didn't know what your topic was going to be, but I was going to work this in, but it, it fits really well. Um, I was scared to death this week because I'm, I get out of my driveway. I get to the end of my little tiny side street. I go to make a right onto the, the main street by my house, which is called telegraph. And I look to the left and I see where I have an opening in traffic I look to the right to make sure there's no pedestrians on the sidewalk and I start to turn. And soon, as soon as I start to turn, um, a guy on a bicycle drives right Ah. into my car, rides right into my car. For real? Yes. Yes. And so this guy um, smashes my headlight. His bike falls down. Shit. He falls down and he hit it hard. I'm scared to death, Mikkel. So I get out of my uh, manual transmission car. I put my car in neutral. But I'm so scared. Again, when these things happen, I am no right. longer intelligent. I don't put my car into uh, – I don't pull my emergency brake and I don't put my car oh, in gear no. and turn it off. I turn it <laughs> off with it in neutral and no emergency brake. So it starts to roll backwards. So then I get Hell. in. Then I get in and I'm like, okay, which one's the brake? Which one's the clutch? I'm an imbecile. I'm, I'm cognitively not functioning. So I finally get my car stopped. I get out. This guy is bleeding profusely out of his hand. Oh. He is dripping all over. And he's like, what the hell, man? And I'm like, I said, like, I'm sorry you're hurt, but you were going the wrong direction. He was going against traffic. Shit. Yes. The 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 street I'm pulling off onto, I'm going to make a right. And he runs into my passenger side. He is going the wrong way. This accident is completely his fault. And yet in me is so much fear. Like, right. oh my gosh, the police are going to write me a ticket. My insurance right. is going to go up. Um, maybe I've hurt him really bad. I'm going to have to pay his hospital bill. This guy starts yelling at me. He picks oh up his gosh. bike. He goes the he goes back the direction he came and he tells me, "You got you just get out of here." You just I said I said, "Dude, I'm sorry, but you were going the wrong direction. You just get out of here. Just leave. Just leave." So I, I get in my car and I t- make a right and I start to drive down the road and I think to myself, "Wait a minute. I've got to call the police." Yeah. I need to call the police and tell them what happened, regardless of whether it's my fault, his fault. Right. 
I got to talk to the cops. So I called the police and I say, look, I don't want to be thought of as fleeing the scene. I want you guys to have the information. Here's what's going on. They couldn't find him, but they acknowledged to me that it was his fault. He would have been the one who got sighted. Um, I've got a dent in my car. I've got a headlight broken. And this guy's skin and blood was on my car. I kind of Ew. blew it off, but it was gross. Um, I was scared to death. And it's a perfect situation kind of showing like our brains do not make good decisions generally. Right. Other than fight, flight, fright, faint. And even that is sometimes not the right decision. Right. Like if a bear growls at us 10 foot away from us behind us um, – Running and screaming may not be the right answer. No. Fainting is certainly probably maybe maybe the best answer, but <laughs> it, it isn't it isn't the answer we would choose. Um, our body just reacts sometimes to fear and often doesn't react appropriately right. to the situation. Uh, anyway, I just I thought it was a good story to kind of end with and and to show how fear fear does things to us that is not what we would do in a normal situation if we were thinking straight. Yeah, I I totally agree. So maybe let's just recap, Bill, and give our listeners kind of a summary of uh, what we do when we have some fear. How how can we make decisions um, and, and move forward even though we're feeling fear? And what are we going to talk about next week? Well, so fear is both healthy and unhealthy. Right. Uh, fear is a mechanism within us that helps us to at least sense that this situation may be different than any other situation and at least gives us a chance to think about that. So the sooner we can turn on our thinking brain and not operate out of that small little, what do they call that little section um, of the brain? It's called the reptilian brain or the limbic. Yeah. And so if we can get out of that, go like, okay, I'm scared and I'm I'm in that, that flight, fight, fright, freeze, right. faint, whatever it is. If I can get out of that and go like, okay, let me start thinking again. What's the logical next step to do? I think we're better off. I think if in this world we live in today, most of our fear decisions, we have some time to think about. Go seek out wise voices. Yeah. Uh, go find a quiet space and make a list of pros and cons. Meditate. Right. Meditate. Um, think these things through and make like in your head, make a decision. And once you think like, okay, that's the best decision, even though I'm scared, move forward. Uh, the other thing too would be uh, recognize like what your fears are and try to maybe not put yourself in those situations, or if you are, put yourself in situations slowly that allow your brain to kind of adapt and work yourself in. If you don't like elevators, man, take the steps. It's not a big deal. Um, True, but but I also think that there's it can be healthy for us to face our fears, like you said, little bit by little bit. If, if the elevator scares you, maybe don't take the elevator every single time, but maybe every once in a while take the elevator and just know, like, I have to constantly tell myself, I'm okay, I'm not going to die. And, and just breathe. So it, I think it's healthy to to recognize the fear, but also do the thing that scares you every now and then. Right. Engage the fear in ways that you find to be the safest way possible. Right. Maybe maybe you hate elevators, but maybe you hate elevators more when there's lots of people in them. So maybe right. you get in the elevator with just you and your significant other uh, or, or a family member or a friend. Um, yeah. Engage those fears in safe ways. That's what the virtual reality is. It's, it, it's allowing that person to engage their fear in a controllable space. Right. Um, engage it in the most controllable spaces that you can. Uh, again, I think fear stops us from acting. And I think that's unhealthy. I think we need mm -hmm. to act in, in the face of fear. Yeah, I agree. Uh, topic for next week. I think in the next couple of weeks, you're going to see us start to do some interviews. Uh, you oh, had mentioned. I'm so excited. Yeah, did, so you reached out to a friend of ours, Corey. Mm -hmm. and um, talked about doing an interview. Did he give you a, a week that we could do that? Um, he, he, let me just pull up his response. Let me find it. Um, 
He said, it sounds scary. He said he's going to fast and pray about it. And then, um, yeah. <laughs> Fasting and praying and thoughts and <laughs> prayers. Yeah. He's so funny. Um, just, just another, so I've had, I've had a couple of really hard decisions to make this week and I have been really fear, fearful about making the wrong decision. Um, and he sent me a meme. So it's the back, it's a picture of the back of a semi truck, um, that's empty and the meme says, excellent news. The first truckload of your thoughts and prayers has just arrived. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, you motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he, he said he's scared. He said he's super interested in doing it. He would love to have some topics that we could possibly go over. Um, so he wants to get together with you and me and our wives and, and uh, go to dinner and kind of hash it out. So yeah, I'm I'd super excited about it because, man, this guy, this guy's amazing. Yeah, I mean, you could. I mean, we could bring up the fear with him. I mean, he runs. Totally. So just to give the listeners kind of a little tease, he ran over three hundred and I think three hundred fourteen or three hundred seventeen miles in eight days. That's um, crazy. There are there are things going on in the human brain during something like that that the rest of us aren't even aware happens. Like your body says, "I can't do this anymore," and your mind then pushes you through. I'd love to just spend some time talking to him about what's going on in the brain when those events happen and that kind of perseverance. Right. Um, it's things that the rest of us never deal with, uh, our body giving out and our mind saying, we're going to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so those kinds of things get interesting. I've also reached out to a therapist uh, who wants to come on and have a conversation about healthy communication. Oh, I and love so those it. are the kind of the things that I think are coming up in the next few weeks. So as far as a topic, I don't have anything uh, specific other than those two interviews I think are coming up. And any concluding thoughts from you or thoughts uh, on our closing song? Um, no, I just invite people to keep breathing when they're experiencing those moments of fear and reach out for support and for help. Don't feel like you're alone. And we are always interested in your feedback. So comments, questions, um, suggestions, ideas, we would love it. We would love it if you shared the episode. We would love it if you donated to help keep us going. Um, and yeah, let's, let's just keep rocking it. I love it. I love all those things. This has been another Almost Awakened episode. Check us out at almostawakened.org, where you can check out past episodes, make a donation to keep this podcast running, email us a question or comment, or find out more about the resources shared in today's episode. For coaching opportunities or extra support, visit nonsensespirituality.com to meet with certified spiritual director, Brittany Hartman.